Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is an RNZ podcast. Christmas and Boxing Day, New Year's, Waitangi, Good Friday, Anzac, Queen's Birthday and Labour Day. The holidays that allow us to celebrate with family and keep us sane. But they also remind us of why we're here, giving us a moment to reflect and commemorate the past. Kia ora, I'm Sonia Yee and you're listening to Eyewitness, a podcast that looks at events and moments in our history from the people who were there. And in this episode, we're looking at a day once remembered by Kiwis that has now faded from public memory. In fact, I'd never heard of it before. So... What was Empire Day? Empire Day was an official day. I can't remember accurately whether it was a day where people had time off. I think the fact that the school, we had this function. And this is Chris Cameron, who was about seven years old when his mother, a teacher, went to work at Cornwall Park School in Auckland in 1942. Chris is going to take us through Empire Day, but more importantly kind of paint a picture about what was happening in New Zealand at the time. Empire Day was recording the British Empire as it was. The British Empire then was more well-known than uh, maybe it is today, you know, the Commonwealth. Empire Day fell on the 24th of May. It was a date celebrated in New Zealand from 1903, two years after Queen Victoria passed away on the 22nd of January, 1901. And the reason the date is significant is because it was Queen Victoria's birthday. Yeah, it was a day we celebrated. That's what was the best word for it. But I don't think it was a public holiday. New Zealand's relationship with Britain was a cosy one. Our connection to the British flag and embracing Queen Victoria's reign was paramount to New Zealand's identity at the time, consolidating our relationship with Mother England and what it meant to be part of the Great British Empire. And as a result, there were statues erected of Queen Victoria. There's one on Albert Street in Auckland, which was the site of many Empire Day events. There's one in Christchurch's Victoria Square. Rotorua and Coromandel have monuments of Queen Vic. And there's also a big statue in Dunedin's Queen's Gardens. And she also keeps a watchful eye on the flow of incoming and outgoing traffic between Kent and Cambridge Terraces in Wellington. This is an excerpt from a 1922 school journal called The Message of the Flag, which pretty much spells it out in black and white. Our Union Jack on Empire Day floats proudly in the breeze, not here alone, but far away in lands across the seas. Wherever British children dwell, or British folk may be, on Empire Day, our flag shall tell that we are Britons free. Tis thus it speaks our Union Jack, its message from the mast, to follow in the noble track of heroes in the past. Now, one thing's for sure. The message doesn't speak to the Aotearoa we know today. It's distinctly British. And that's exactly where our nation's allegiances lay. 
There was another reason Chris remembers that day as well. Empire Day came along, and as, as it was my birthday on the same day, 24th of May, that was a bit special. I was allowed to carry the flag. Now, I would say that Cornwall Park School in those days had a huge collection of all the flags of the empire, all the countries, Australia, Canada, South Africa, you name it. So we marched with it, and I remember because I marched at the head with the New Zealand flag because it was my birthday. There were 20 flags, there were 20 children, and then a few more hanging on the back, and we'd march uh, out of the classrooms along the front down onto the sports field. Cornwall Park had a nice terraced way to get down to the park. These are excerpts from local newspapers. Evening Star, issue 17671, 26 May 1921. Field Marshal Sir Henry Wilson presided at the Colonial Institute's Empire Day dinner. Sir Henry Wilson, in proposing the toast of a united empire, said he hoped the day would come when the empire would be able to say to the world, there shall be no more war, and there would be no more. And the Poverty Bay Herald, 25th of May 1927. Empire Day celebrations were observed throughout the country, schoolchildren marching past and saluting the Union Jack. The British Empire distributed 200,000 miniature Union Jacks for buttonholes, 10,000 large Union Jacks for flying, and 20,000 Empire Day medals. Many shops were gaily decorated with Dominion flags and special displays of Empire foods. While these newspaper excerpts go a little bit further back than Chris's day, they still illustrate how important Empire Day was. We thought of Britain... England as the head of the empire. We also had a half day. By the time we'd done the, the march, we then uh, put the flags away and had our lunch and went home. There was something else going on at the time that also reinforced a tie with Britain. We're in the middle of World War II and the armies of New Zealand and Australia, Anzacs, went to fight in Europe and the Pacific including Chris's dad. He was in the infantry. He was a captain. He was the 34th Battalion. He was senior. But back when Chris's dad was fighting in the war, all eyes were on what was happening for our Kiwi soldiers fighting abroad. All the children there were the same. We all missed our fathers or mothers who were overseas, obviously, and uh, tried to keep track of them. Probably most of the children I can remember having some friends whose fathers were overseas in different places and we would talk about it. The war was very, very in our minds in 1942 3 4, no question about it. You know, the newspapers were full of uh, where they were fighting and how they were getting on and whether they were winning and what was happening to, to the opposition. It's very public, not just at school. But on the radio, uh, all the time, radio was our key means of, of learning what was going on in the world. We all had radios. I had a small radio in my bedroom just so I could listen to what was going on. You know, we played with guns as kids uh, and we, we played soldiers and played battles. I mean, kids did that. Chris's dad was an avid letter writer. They were more personal letters, imagining what I was doing or playing or learning. 
Chris and his mum received at least a couple of letters a week. Sometimes his dad would make little drawings inside them too. He was a school teacher, like my mother. He probably was easier for him to write letters than people who hadn't been involved in education. We still have quite a collection of those letters, whether he was in Fiji or in the uh, Cook Islands or anywhere, he would write. Sometimes the envelopes would have stamps from odd places. I can, I can remember particularly when they were doing training in Fiji and we used to keep the envelopes and keep the stamps, which would be Fijian stamps. And then later, Solomon Islands or New Hebrides, odd stamps. I think sometimes the post in those days, it came by ship from the islands and then got delivered, but no real delays. There was nothing in my mind ever, I'm positive, to think that he mightn't have come back. Except... One day, the letters stopped, and another one replaced it. It was a special delivery. My mother and I were living with my grandparents in Ponsonby, and on a Saturday morning, there was a knock at the door, and I opened the door, and it was the postman delivering the telegram to my mother. Even the paper was different. Telegrams in those days were on a yellow paper, and the teleprint that had printed it out was just stuck on. Sometimes they were handwritten, but mostly they had a teleprinter label on them. I also remember the postman was crying. He'd been the postman there for years and years, and he knew everybody in the street and who they were and where the kids went to school. And, you know, that's, that was normal in, in the 40s. And especially during World War II, when Everybody needed support. He knew about my father being overseas, so postman in those days was given telegrams by a telegraph runner or boy, a lot of younger people that actually delivered the telegrams, but there was a special delivery arrangement that the postman would, would deliver those particular telegrams because of the seriousness of the message. It was the news that everyone would be dreading, a family's worst nightmare. Said that they regret the passing of my father, etc., and the details where it was. When Chris's dad died, he'd been fighting the Japanese. It was um, up in a little island called Mono Island. It's an island very close to Guadalcanal, which was a very well-known battlefield in the, up in the Solomon Island area. The fact that I, I, I got the envelope and passed it to my mother, I, I, it's a very, very, very strong memory even, all these years later. Chris's dad passed away in 1943, and Chris went to visit the gravesite as an adult. He's buried in New Caledonia in a town called Barai, where it's a New Zealand cemetery, because the New Zealanders had very big camps there, and, one of the things we noticed, looking on the headstones, um, and it was quite sad to see that my father was 34, but all the ones around him were 18, 20, 22, 25, maybe 70. It was amazing to think that all those 
young, young people had been killed fighting. When you think about it, you know, these days, 20-year-olds, 18-year-olds, so that, that was one thing that stuck in my mind when I visited the cemetery, was the very young men who had fought and lost and wouldn't get home. The other place where he's remembered, other than the Bryce Cemetery, uh, is uh, on the plinth outside Auckland Grammar's entrance. There's a plinth there with his name on, Captain Leslie Kirk. My name is Cameron now because I was adopted after the war, but I just put that aside. He was an Auckland Grammar boy. After receiving the news, Chris didn't go to school for a couple of days. He was one of only a few kids that he knew at school whose parents had passed away at war. When Chris returned to school, everyone knew what had happened. The support and the friendship of the school children who'd been told, and the teachers, etc., and as I said, my mother was one of the teachers, I think got me through that a lot better than maybe if I hadn't been at Cornwall Park. I went back to school and I stayed there for another, another year. 44 and part of 45. The community involvement, it was also terrible to have these things happen, but the people it hadn't happened to were very, very supportive. It still sticks in my mind the War Widows Association people who kept on coming around to see if my mother was okay. We had one plus that my Uncle Bob was overseas, so my Auntie Jean and her two kids were living with us, so she was very, very supportive, too, which was rather nice. All these years later, you, you remember those situ- situations that happened in your life. Chris says he'll always remember Empire Day and that period of time, being at a new school and the emotional support he received when his dad passed away. But Empire Day, as a day of commemoration, didn't last. In 1958, it transitioned to Commonwealth Day, and by then, Chris was much older. It automatically became part of the Commonwealth because the Empire became the Commonwealth, which we still have today. By the time I went to high school, which was in Tauranga, uh, it had become Commonwealth Day, but we didn't do anything. It was just in the paper today's Commonwealth Day and a bit of North about Commonwealth, and then it faded out. But certainly some contemporaries of mine, when we talked about Empire Day and Commonwealth Day, a lot of people who would have been at school in those 50s and 60s all made the comment that they either didn't remember Commonwealth Day or remembered that it had faded out. That was Chris Cameron, and I'm your host and producer, Sonia Yee. You also heard excerpts read by Damien Galvin. The sound engineer was Phil Benge, and our executive producer is Tim Watkin. That's a wrap for Eyewitness for 2020. Have a wonderful Christmas and New Year's from me and the team of Eyewitness.
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.